questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Are UFOs time machines from the future? Tonight's special guest cautiously examines the premise that extraterrestrials may instead be our distant human descendants. Using the anthropological tool of time travel to visit and study us in their own hominem evolutionary past. Dr. Michael P. Masters, a professor of biological anthropology specializing in human evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine, explores how the persistence of long-term biological and cultural trends in human evolution may ultimately result in us becoming the ones piloting these disc-shaped craft, which are likely the very devices that allow our future progeny to venture backward across the landscape of time. Moreover, these extratempestrials are ubiquitously described as bipedal, large-brained, hairless, human-like beings who communicate with us in our own languages and who possess technology advanced beyond but clearly built upon our own. These accounts, coupled with a thorough understanding of the past and modern human condition, point to the continuation of established biological and cultural trends here on Earth long into the distant human future. Greetings from your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Dr. Michael P. Masters is a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. He received a PhD in anthropology from The Ohio State University in 2009, where he specialized in human evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine. His new book, Identified Flying Objects, a multidisciplinary scientific approach to the UFO phenomenon, challenges readers to consider new possibilities while cultivating conversations about our ever-evolving understanding of time and time travel. And directly from Butte, Montana, I would like to welcome Dr. Michael P. Masters. Hello, Dr. Masters, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. By the way, may I call you Mike? Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I saw you on TV, as I mentioned before, and I knew I had to bring you on, and I'm pleasantly surprised how recently this topic is making some serious rounds on mainstream media, and it's no longer being treated like a joke. Why do you think that is? Well, that's a good question. I think there's been a lot of different things going on. Um, importantly, there's been more activity in the U.S. Uh, the government's come out with some various reports about changing different things regarding how these sightings are reported um, with the AATIP program and um, just more information coming to light about that. And 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 just, I think, uh, a general culture of awareness and interest has been developing around this subject. It's been there for a long time. There's no denying that the subject matter um, you know, has it's been a part of our cultural knowledge for a while, but it seems like there is some growing momentum and consensus around uh, 
the notion that this is a real thing and should be taken seriously and should be studied. So how did you come up with your conclusion that UFOs or IFOs, rather, may be time-traveling machines from the future? Well, it started uh, when I was very young. I was about eight years old, and uh, I learned of uh, an encounter that my father had. He was uh, a veterinarian in a very dark part of Ohio, uh, Amish country, sort of in the northeast quadrant of the state. And it's very dark because Amish people don't use electricity. Um, And he had an experience where he saw a craft uh, along with someone who was riding along with them that night by chance. So there were two individuals that witnessed the same thing. But uh, they came over a hill and saw this craft across the horizon. Um, Initially, it was just this big glowing orb of light. And then it darted toward their truck and sat there only a couple hundred meters away and then went back across the horizon and shot straight up into the sky. And um, hearing him tell that story and then seeing the the cover of this book called Communion by Whitley Stryber that I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with. Oh, sure. There is this this archetypal alien image, um, you know, the big head, the small face, the big eyes, kind of a slender body build, but very human-looking form in general. And I just remember kind of having this flash of, of awareness, so I guess you could call it, or at least interest, where I, I imagined... In, in a chimpanzee-like form, our modern human form, and then this uh, alien-type form all together. and just kind of started me down a path of, of inquiry to try to find out more about that, to try to understand if we could potentially be related, if they could just simply be us from the future. And, and more recently, as I've been doing research for the book, and especially after it was published and talking with people, uh, I've learned that I'm not alone in this, that there's a lot of uh, well-respected scholars and, and people who have uh, even, you know, had encounters, experiencers who have stated this same thing. So I think it's, um, there's definitely a case to be made. And the purpose of writing the book was to build a case around this, not just the idea. The idea, I think, speaks for itself to a lot of people, but to really dive deep into it and present a multidisciplinary, multifaceted set of arguments that help build this case more tangibly and more scientifically. I'll confess something here that I haven't said before. Some listeners may have heard this before. Over a decade ago, when I started this program, there's a case that I haven't been able to disclose because I haven't been authorized to release the the photographs because the person, I'm not getting into details, but it has to do with government censorship, if you will. But I have those images and I have lots of text and, 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 and writings from this person. I met him in person. He told me that these craft and the beings and the lights that are shown on the pictures that I have are actually time travelers. It's us from the future. And that yeah. was the very first time I ever heard of this concept. But what you just said about communion and the cover page, when you put a, a chimpanzee and then Fast forward, if we are to believe in evolution, I know some people don't believe it, but if you are to just morph, just like that video from Michael Jackson years ago, you may have remembered, right? <laughs> I do, yeah. And then you see this gray alien. It, it's theoretically possible that this could be it, and it's us. Occam's Razor tells me that it's more, it's uh, it's easier to think that this is the case as opposed to thinking of these beings coming from another planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I also shave with Occam's razor. I think it's important to do so, and especially with a, 
such a obscure, mysterious phenomenon like this. And and yeah, I mean, it, it's not a belief system. We, it's easily testable. Evolution is a very testable hypothesis, and it's evolved itself into becoming an accepted law in in biology. And and really, if we if we do morph those things, that's the main thing that I do in my own research is look at evolutionary anatomy and, and how our morphology has changed over evolutionary time. And, and back six to eight million years ago, we weren't a chimpanzee per se. We have a common ancestor with the modern chimpanzees. But at that time, we had big elongated faces, large eye orbits relative to our eyes and a low sloping forehead because there wasn't much frontal development of our, our brains. And and then move forward through all of the Australopithecines and all of the different early Homo and Homo erectus and, and the modern humans. And you can just see those two main changes taking place where our faces have retracted and become reduced. They've gotten smaller and our brains have expanded uh, both mediolaterally, meaning left to right, but also forward. And they've come out over top of our eyes. And in fact, we're the only mammal on planet Earth who has that craniofacial configuration or what's known as a bow plan in which our brains sit right on top of our eyes and our face is retracted and tucked underneath them. So, so yeah, we can look at this long history of hominin evolution in our craniofacial anatomy specifically and see this continual change from those early hominin forms to modern humans. And then if you project those forward, regardless of what situation may happen, whether we live in space or underground or on Mars or whatever, all of those things are irrelevant because these same dominant trends, if continued into the future, are very likely to result in something similar to this this typical gray alien form. Well, let's dive. Well, by the way, I, I really want to discuss the elongated skulls later, Paracas, and the fact that they're all over the place, not just in Peru. Well, mm-hmm. let's dive into the topic. You say, quote, if reports of close encounters with UFOs and aliens can be understood as instances of intertemporal interaction. They could potentially offer up a wealth of information about the future state of our species, quote, unquote. Please explain. Well, in writing this book, what I like to do a lot is think about my own situation in modern times as an anthropologist. And and in doing digs throughout the world, um, you get you get to hold in your hands things that other humans held in their hands a hundred thousand years ago or, or two million years ago and and try to imagine the world through their eyes but if we were to visit them if we had the technology to go back and study them in person and conduct a, a much deeper analysis of their their life way their culture their biology uh, the soft tissue anatomy that we lack today because we're left to work with fossilized teeth and bones. And if we had access to all of that, we could learn so much more. And as a paleoanthropologist who specializes in hominin evolution and, and the evolution of tools and culture and things like that, I often think about what I could learn from them. But then I also think about how much they could learn from me. If they had that awareness, if they understood that I was from the future they would instantly get a snapshot in time of the period that I come from. And they'd be able to see that we lose our hair and that our crania grow larger and our faces get smaller and we have much more sophisticated technology. And that same thing is applicable in looking at our future brethren. If they are indeed coming back through time to study us, we would be gifted a snapshot in time of whatever period they're an ambassador of. And most likely... 
once this technology is developed, it'll continue to persist and we're likely seeing individuals from different time periods. But each time that happens, we're visited now and in the recent past, we're perhaps granted a glimpse into our own human future. So if we do take this phenomenon seriously, and if this is actually what's happening, then it does give us some insight into the future of humanity. One thing that impresses me about a lot of the anthropo anthropological items found are skulls with great-looking teeth. That's mm -hmm. not the case today. I wonder what they did to keep their teeth that way. Not all of them. Is it that they died very young, or was there something else? Perhaps no sugar and a lot of the things that we are exposed to? Yeah, you hit two out of the three on the head there. It's that they didn't live long enough to... Um, to develop dental caries or cavities and other dental problems for the most part. Um, and also that they didn't have the high sugar, high, carbo, high car carbohydrate diets. But also a third important part is that they wore their teeth down very quickly. They were eating things that got rid of those cusps in their teeth and all the pits and grooves where food can get stuck so that bacteria forms and creates acidity and then rots away the, the enamel and dentin. So they were... It was a combination of those three things that helped to keep their teeth relatively in good shape. After agriculture, a lot of those things changed. We started eating softer food. Our teeth didn't wear down as fast. We had more sugars in our diet. And you do start to see more lesions and dental caries in the teeth and even the jaw. I remember in doing my dissertation research, I came across a skull where almost the entire left side of the mandible, the jaw, was completely worn away by an abscess, and it must have been tremendously painful. Um, we also have evidence that one of the best-known Homo erectus skeletons, KNMWT 15,000, or what's known as the Nerakotome boy, uh, also died of a tooth infection. It's very likely that he got a tooth infection, and it, it spread to the rest of his body and killed him at a relatively young age. He was about 11 years old. But other than those few instances, for the most part, yeah, that's a, a very good observation. They had tremendously healthy dentition. Now, this is a speculative question. Many people claim that they have interacted with beings from God knows from where. But could it be that these beings may say that as opposed to saying, I'm a time traveler? Just think about it. If we had the ability to time travel, you and I, and when, let's say, to the Gettysburg Address, would we say we're time travelers? I think we would say that, uh, you know, we would experience the moment, learn from it, and we would try to mm -hmm. mix with the population in order to not call attention to ourselves. But how do we, how do these beings, which have a wide range of, of appearances, according to two witnesses, are you implying they're from Earth? And if so, what caused them to change so much? Nuclear war, physical evolution, what do you think? Well, that, that brings up a, a, a very interesting point. And it's something I've thought about a lot because it, a lot of it comes down to at what point would they have been coming from and where would they go in their past? And you're right. If we went back to the Gettysburg Address, we could you know, beat somebody up and take their clothes and uh, blend in remarkably well because we haven't changed that much over the last couple hundred years. If we're talking about beings that come from 50, 60,000 years in the future or 100,000 years in the future, there's going to be things that make that much more difficult. They're not just going to be able to wear our clothes and blend in. So, yeah, you do have a lot of reports where 
people are told they come from this star system over here. And, and that very well could be a redirect. Um, it's very likely that they're instructed not to divulge when they're from, if, if they are indeed from our future, because of the fact that this isn't something that's common knowledge. It's not the dominant mantra, and it, it may complicate things to some extent with regard to intertemporal interaction, which I discuss quite a bit in the book and some of the later chapters. Um, but yeah, I think, and, and also another thing to keep in mind is that we wouldn't really be incentivized to go back into our recent past. We're likely to still have records of what happened in pictures and video that we could draw from, and especially as well as we archive things. But, but as you point out, there are certainly things that could happen. There could be some sort of global war, nuclear war, uh, the earth becomes inhabitable, and perhaps a lot of those things are lost so that we do eventually become incentivized to go back and try to rediscover our even more recent past. And you could also have a situation in which much more evolved or more distant descendants could pick somebody up from even 100, 200 years in the future, even before we have time travel technology, but because they're able to stop at different times, perhaps pick someone up and take them to a previous point in the past. So, so even if the technology, you know, it's not going to be developed next week or anything like that, but even because of the nature of time and time travel, it could be possible to have interactions with people from different periods spread out through the future and even throughout our past, um, simply because this technology and the presence of a time machine, there really is no true structure between past, present, and future. There isn't that same linear time as we see this thing coming before this, which comes before this. So there, it really opens up a lot of interesting questions and different avenues for investigating really what that would be like and what potentialities could arise from the development of this technology at really any point in our evolutionary future. We may not have changed physically that much or biologically, but languages, even yeah. my mm -hmm. daughter, I mean, I remember years ago, well, but a few years ago, I played some movies from the 1930s and 40s. Of course, this new generation, they just can't watch black and white. But that was <laughs> not the case with her. What she was saying is, I'm having a hard time understanding their English. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Imagine what could happen in 100, 200 years. How would you be able to mix yourself in the crowd 200 years ago? Right. Oh, that would be, it would take a lot of really esoteric knowledge of that specific linguistic group. There's no doubt about it. I remember having to read the, um, the original version of On the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin, which was written in 1859 or published in 1859. And it was almost unintelligible. It, it really wasn't that long ago that he wrote it. And I understand all of the concepts that were being discussed. Yeah, it was. It was very Shakespearean. And and just the 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 simple words, the the prepositions are, you know, similar, but but the dictation and the way things were said back then was so different. So you're right, it would take Someone with um, access to records or listening to the way things were spoken back then and very early recordings, if they're available, I think, to really practice that. And we, we do that today when we learn another language. We, one of the best ways is to immerse yourself in that culture and to really pick up the nuances of people's speech in those cultures. But I think if you were really trying to blend in um, or even to be able to communicate with people that you were 
you know, doing more of a, a biomedical examination on or interacting with in a limited capacity, you'd still need basic linguistic skills to comfort them and, and to, to be able to tell them it'll be okay. And that is a very commonly reported thing in these encounters, uh, close encounters of the fourth and fifth. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.